everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk to you about horror movies. This week will be the killing of a sacred deer. But before we get there, we need to get stoned. So let's get to our green hats. Danny, what is this Jay that you brought for me today? Nice. So before I came over, stopped by over at Flower and picked up a strain of some Cap Junkie. Oh. So with that being said... Cap Junkie is a strain I know we've brought over before, but for those who are not familiar, it is crossed with the iconic Cushmanson Alien Cookie strains. Now, something neat about this one, it's also called the Miracle Mints. With that being said as well, the cultivar, it's a collaborative project between two of the most modern breeders, right? The most important modern breeders, that is. And that's Capulator and Seed Junkie Genetics. And that was like back in... 2021 where they sold clones for like a thousand bucks a piece which is really neat so with that being said this one is really nice as far as if you got chronic pain if you're feeling a little depressed maybe you have some muscle spasms you're stressed out the thc on this one is pretty potent sometimes it can come in right around 33 to 34 percent this one over at flower comes in a little bit over 29 and a half percent with the terpenes topping out at about one and a half percent. The terpenes on this, the ones that stand out the most, are linalool, myrcene, limonene, pinene, and traces of karyophylline. So it has a nice mix. It is a hybrid strain, but it tends to lean a little bit more on the indica side. So nice. for those who are not initiated, be a little bit careful, but still pretty nice. Hell yeah. Well, this week, I actually handed you two J's. Oh, yeah. Now, the Graham J that I handed you, I'm not going to spend too much time on, because you can go listen to last week's episode, <laughs> and it's the same thing. It's more peel out. Nice, nice. However, that little guy that I handed you, that little halfer, got a little bit of a story. Well, first off, last week we didn't record. Y'all might not notice, depending on our release schedule, because there's a couple things that I have to get caught up on as far as our releases go anyway. So, y'all might not notice. But we didn't record, which was well enough for me because it also happened to me my birthday that day. Made it a little bit easy day for me. Sorry that you were feeling shitty. Yeah, but kind of sucked. But the next day, I'm at work and I get a text from my cousin who lives in town. Love my cousin to death. But even though she lives in town, we don't talk all that much or anything. Like, you know, we have our own lives. She's got a fucking husband and kids and all that shit. And I sit around all day playing video games, <laughs> smoking weed. Like, yeah, You know I mean, how it is, like, different lifestyles going on. She hits me up to give me the happy birthday, and she's it's like, hey, do you still live in that same apartment? Like, yeah. Like, I got a, I got a present for you. I'm like, okay. Like, do you think it'd be okay if I just, just like, left it outside your door or whatever? Because I was at work. I'm like, yeah, it should be fine. She's like, you know what, on second thought, I should hand it to you, considering what it is. And I was like, considering what it... Is my cousin going to give me drugs or something? <laughs> anyway, get home from work that night, and she swings by... She hands me this little box, best gift ever. And before I even have a chance to open it, she's like, it's weed. That's why I didn't hand it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Apparently, she listened to a couple of the episodes. Uh, I don't know which ones. I didn't go into to get into too much detail. She really had to, cool. you know, get back to being a fucking mom and like an, a yeah. responsible adult and shit. And she's like, yeah, I listened to a couple episodes, so I brought you this. I don't know if she listens to every episode. I don't know if she's going to listen That's to really this cool. this episode in particular, but I wanted to, to feature the weed that she brought me. Yeah. So that's it's some Marilyn Monroe from Double Dogs. It's actually testing pretty low. It's like a 11.14% strain. It's an indica-dominant hybrid, 
And that's about all the information I was able to find. She did send me a screenshot of an information sheet. Unfortunately, the information sheet that she sent me is just like, it was done by Double Dogs. Uh, It has like the THC breakdown, but not terpene breakdown either. Okay, gotcha. And the QR code on the fucking thing is a reading for me. Uh, Go figure. So what I do know is it's a 70-30 split from... JFK crossed with oh, Mother's Finest. Nice, nice. Uh, which is really funny if you're going to name a strain Marilyn Monroe. JFK? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And that's about all I got, but thank you, Cousin Andrea. That's awesome. Um, yeah, thank you. And uh, I will say, for longtime listeners, this is a cousin that ties very heavily into this show even though she's never been on here before because it was one of the cousins that I overheard talking about Chucky back in the day. Uh, that's and funny. that story. That is funny, man. So, okay. Pictures it was her and her clear. sister that were talking about that's child's play that and I overheard Chucky and you think of Chucky cheese. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Andrea. Other than that, once, once we're through these half grammars, I'll get to the, the peel out. But if you all want to know about yeah, peel out, you can okay. listen to last week's episode. But No, that's a, that's a really cool story. I really enjoy that. That's cool. And we just want to remind everybody to check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Even at the lowest level for a dollar a month. A dollar? I'd buy that for a dollar. Hell yeah. All right, a dollar a month. You could be listening to this last week. Patrons get all the episodes a week early. If you're in that middle level... Get the Patreon exclusive episodes. We've been going back through our old catalog, setting eyes on some of these movies for the first time in years. Seeing what we think of them now. To date, I don't think necessarily our opinions have changed much, but we've definitely been coming up with new things to say about them. Agreed. With uh, just this extra experience in both life and watching movies. Yeah, I mean, we're almost up on a decade, which is pretty mm-hmm. wild thinking about that. And then at the top level, you have access to the Discord and all that fun stuff. Patreon.com slash Fried Squirms. With that, let's move into the guts and bolts of the killing of a sacred deer. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts of the killing of a sacred deer. Who and what went into this movie, spoiler free. We'll get to all the spoilers before too long. But the setup, in case you don't know what the hell the killing of a sacred deer is supposed to be about. This is one of those ones where I wasn't quite sure what exactly I was going to say. So I'm actually just going to take the little bit of a blurb from Wikipedia on this one rather than putting it into my own words. It follows a cardiac surgeon who introduces his family to a teenage boy with a connection to his past, after which they begin to mysteriously fall ill. I'm going to take issue with that blurb just a little bit because it's technically a mystery, but he's told beforehand. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so there's that. I mean, of course, we'll get into all that fun mm-hmm. stuff. So this week we are going to talk about a really interesting director because he's also part of the writing team. I'm talking about director Yorgos Lanthimos. And a few films of note for Mr. Yorgos. Actually, which is interesting. It makes sense. His name is Georgios. Yorgos. But a few things of note from him. He's directed such films as Dogtooth, the film Alps, The Lobster, The Favorite, and the film Poor Things. I did mention he's one of the writers along with Iphthamus Filippou. 
who'll also help write Dogtooth, Alps, and The Lobster. We have cinematographer Dimios Bakatakis, who helped with Dogtooth, The Lobster, a film actually I watched right before COVID, which is The Lodge, also Master of None television series back in 2021. I think he helped on five episodes of that. All right, we've got editor Yorgos Mavropsertis, who helped also on Dogtooth, The Lobster, and The Favorite. We've got a couple of special effects teams on this. We've got Screen Scene and SSVFX, both helped on visual effects. We've got producers Ed Guinea and Yorgos Lanthimos. Production companies on this are Element Pictures, A24, and Film4. The distributors on this were A24. They helped with the 2017 United States theatrical release. And Artificial Eye helped with the 2017 United Kingdom theatrical release. Release dates on this were May 22nd, 2017 in France at the Cannes Film Festival. And November 3rd, 2017 across the United States, the United Kingdom, and in Ireland. And the gross I have on this is $7 million worldwide. All right, so moving into our cast of The Killing of a Sacred Deer, we lead off with Colin Farrell, who plays the role of Dr. Stephen Murphy. Now, um, if we're going to talk about Mr. Farrell, he's got quite a laundry list of films. Depends on how far you want to get into it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, especially for our purposes being on Fried Squirms, we should probably bring up the fact that the Fright Night remake is actually pretty fucking good, and he's a really good part in it. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that, man. He does a really good job. I'm not going to argue with anybody who says, yeah, but it doesn't hold up to the original because we're talking about Fright Night. Like, right, right, right. It's like, it's not a huge bar, but I, I will say this because I, you know, I grew up in the 80s with mm -hmm. that film. It's like, I really hold, it has a special place, let's put it that way. I was like, I won't necessarily revere it, but it, you know, it has its, its history with me. So I'll hold it in a certain pantheon, but I still give credit to the remake, man. It did a really good job. And I I feel Colin Farrell especially in that flick did a great job. It's hard um, to argue, man. He did a really good job, and uh, it's a fun film. And recently killed it in the Batman as the new Penguin. I haven't seen that one yet, man. Still haven't watched. Almost that. unrecognizable in the makeup. I, dude. I've seen some stills, you know, some still shots. And yeah, you're right. You wouldn't know it unless somebody pointed it out to you, which is really cool. Good on him. Yeah, it's like a John Leguizamo is clowning. I know. This is like, what? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that happens. I guess I'll, I'll just name a few films. Not that we have to get really extensive with him. He was in Minority Report. It's really cool. Phone Booth, another big one. He was in Daredevil as Bullseye, <laughs> which is really cool. He was in Alexander as Alexander, of course. In Bruges, which is a really good film. Really highly recommend that one. Uh, he was in Horrible Bosses, which is really cool. Total Recall, another remake. Let's see here. Yeah, he... Starred in The Lobster as David. He's also in The Beguiled with Nicole Kidman from 2017. And, uh, yeah, some television work as well. True Detective, more notably back in 2015 as Detective Ray Velcoro. So, some pretty cool stuff there. All right, moving forward, we've got Nicole Kidman plays the role of Anna Murphy. A couple of things of note from Nicole, once again, is like, where do you want to start? Because she's got quite a laundry list of films. Also, if you don't know who she is, have you been living under a fucking rock for forever? That's like, kind of how it feels a little bit. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Where do you want to start with some of her films? Probably Days of Thunder, some of the early stuff I can remember her from. Let's see here. She was in Eyes Wide Shut, Moulin Rouge, The Hours, Dogville, Cold Mountain. I mentioned she was in The Beguiled. She was also in The Paperboy. That movie is freaking wild, dude, if you want to see a crazy-ass film. And, like, she's, I mean, 
Um, I don't know. We'd spend I really liked. Um, I really liked the Stepford Wives with her in it. Yeah, I mean, can't go wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think some other films, perhaps. Batman Forever. Yeah, it's like well, <laughs> that's kind of interesting because the the cast in general, they all. I mean, with a few exceptions, of course, have a unique tie-in to Batman. Yeah, the series, the franchise. So that's kind of cool. All right, moving forward, we've got. Raffi Cassidy, she plays the role of Kim Murphy. A few things of note from her. She was in the film Dark Shadows. Some people might have seen her in Snow White in The Huntsman. She was also in the film Tomorrowland, the film Vox Lux, and the film The Other Lamb. We've got Sonny Sulchich. A few things of note from him. Well, actually, he plays Bob Murphy, but a few things of note from him. He was in the film Mid-90s. Actually, I've heard some really good things about that. He was also in the film The House with a Clock in Its Walls. He was in the Christmas Chronicles Part 2, and he also voiced Atreus in the God of War and the God of War Ragnarok, which is actually really cool. Oh, shit, yeah. All right, we've got Barry Keoghan plays the role of Martin Lang. A few things to note from him, he was in the film Mammal. He was in the film Dunkirk. You might have seen him in The Green Knight. He was also in the film The Eternals. He's in The Batman as well. Which right? is really funny because he's... He's briefly. essentially a fucking cameo in the Green Yeah, just Night. briefly, but he's about to make his appearance mm-hmm. known in the next one. He was also in the Banshees Inishrin, and he was also in the television show Chernobyl back in 2019. All right, we've got Alicia Silverstone plays the role of Martin's mother in this film. Hello. Blast from the past, Alicia Silverstone? I know. 90s is probably where you and I are more notably going to remember her from. A couple of Aerosmith videos, then she was in Clueless... Batman and Robin? Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, she was in the movie, let's see here, True Crime, pretty decent. Like you said, Blast from the Past, which is really cool. Tropic Thunder as herself was really neat. I did mention, man, right before I went to see Tool and before COVID and all that shit, I went and seen The Lodge. She is in The Lodge. That movie is, oof, good luck with that one. It's good, but holy shit, man. I want to knuckle dust you. Um, okay. Yeah, but... Like I said, really cool actress. She's still doing a lot of stuff, mostly on the production side of things these days. All right. And last but not least, even though there's a lot of other actors and actresses in this, I've got Bill Camp plays the role of Matthew Williams. A few things of note from him because he's got some really cool stuff. Right. He was in uh, New York Undercover television show from 1994. He actually was in the pilot episode of that, which I thought was really cool. Wow. Yeah, he was also in such things as Public Enemies. He was in Compliance, which was actually really cool. He was in Lincoln, Toy Years a Slave. He was in Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. He was also in Black Mass from 2015. Some people might have seen him also in uh, Red Sparrow from 2018. He was in the film Vice as Gerald Ford, which is really neat. It was also in White Noise and The Boston Strangler, looks like. I'm not sure if that's already out, but it's do out this year if it's okay. not already so yeah a few things of note from him that's really cool but uh yeah that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew gave us a brief setup should give our listeners some warnings warning so i don't know how exactly to characterize this but there is some weird sexual stuff there we'll is. get that out of the way first there is including some nudity but also just like some discussion and stuff that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. awkward awkward more than anything yeah i agree with that but i feel like it's enough to bring it up that's why it's called a warning (laughs) yeah right (laughs) i mean you know what i mean like we have to do it because it's fair play at this point language gun violence yeah a little bit of gun violence i mean you're going to see an actual footage of open heart surgery 
So oh, be yeah. warned. It's not long, but it's enough. I almost forgot about that. I, it's, yeah, it's it's so brief, but it's right there. You know what? We're just gonna leave it at gun violence. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, because otherwise, I feel like we're venturing into spoiler territory. That's solid. Which you know, if you make it past this section, which me just saying that, you might be able to figure out what I'm getting at. Yeah. But perhaps. But if not, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of about it, though, right? Like, there's nothing else. There's nothing in too the... heavy. Yeah. Surprisingly, but. Not, I mean, not considering when to watch the film, not really. It's as heavy as you let it be. True. <laughs> I guess with that, let's get in to find out how the killing of a sacred deer made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man. Here we are, killing of a sacred deer. We're back into thinky horror again. I mean, we mentioned it last week, but I'd never seen it. Likewise. And but before we get too far into this, I'll also admit I did not manage my time well this weekend, and I did not get a chance to refresh myself as well as I wanted to. So luckily I took some decent notes this time around, but it is not as fresh in my mind as it usually is when we are recording. So I apologize to all of our listeners if I miss something. No, but. you're good. You're good. Actually, the last watch I did was <clears throat> a quick run through. I did like a what's it, one and a half speed mm-hmm. just so I could like, okay. Just so I can get my eyes on it. That sounds fine, because how it made me squeal, at least. Movie's good. I don't have anything bad to say about it. But at the end of the day, I kind of felt like it wasn't quite my bag. I kind of feel the same, in a sense. Meaning, like, it wasn't quite what I expected it to be, in terms of this block, more specifically. But knowing its source material, I guess, if you want, or, or its inspiration... It makes this story easier to follow because mm-hmm. it's it's borrowing so heavily from you know it's that story Ephigenia and all this, mm-hmm. so it's like okay I, I get it you know I understand what he's doing in terms of these characters and the whole concept behind it even though you know from an audience standpoint it might take some people out and I get that it's almost like you're you're literally watching a play on film you know it's just a modern take on it. That's all. I think for this movie to be effective on an emotional level, you might have to like really try to put yourself into like Colin Farrell's shoes and like trying to like get into that mindset of like how agonizing it would have to be to have to be the one to choose. But I don't know, man. I feel like we've watched enough horror at this point that like making somebody choose who lives or who dies, like we've seen that, man. <laughs> I know, right? With higher stakes as well. I, I mean, and it's not like these aren't high stakes. Right. It's like it's I his agree. family. Absolutely agree. It, and so I get it. It's it's harrowing. It's absolutely. terrible. It's horrific. Regardless, yeah, I agree. But with that. fuck it, come on, man. Like we've seen this shit. And that's just it. It's like it's nothing new. And of course, you know, like I said, once you figure out its inspiration, it's kind of not necessarily like unraveling the mystery, if you will, because there's not much of a mystery. I mean, the kid tells you what the fuck's going on. As I kind of alluded to earlier, like, I feel like this movie is as much of anything as you want to give of yourself into it. I agree. I agree with that. It can be super emotionally harrowing if you take the time to put yourself into Colin Farrell's shoes. Yeah. It can be a mystery if you haven't seen it before and you're trying to use all the clues that you're giving you to try to figure out who is going to be the sacred deer. Yeah, exactly. But 
once again, like, we've done this shit. Did you catch who was going to die? Because well, it, it gives it away. What I feel like, <laughs> you know, once they start having, like, certain conversations, and then the gifts, and just the attitudes, the general attitudes, and, and how they're... I feel like the relationships with that character in particular, Martin guy, right? It, it kind of gives you an idea. And not only that, but... I hate to keep saying it like this, but it's almost, in a sense, like um, what Pet Cemetery did more recently. It's like, once you know, like, here's its source, are they going to do the same thing or are they going to do a flip? And there's only so many ways you can flip. Right. And so, yeah, come on. So the movie, I will say, I feel like it tries to bait you. This is a spoiler section, so here we go. We're going to give away the main spoiler. I do feel like the movie tries to bait you a little bit into thinking it's going to end up being the daughter. I agree, but because of the general attitude, I think that she has with her mom, with Plus, the kid. She's the one that did the report on the the myth, just the fact that the myth involves having to sacrifice a daughter in the first place. Right, and that's that's what I'm getting at. It's like it's, it's a unique take on it in a sense, but that... It's not like you can't see it coming. But, and here's the thing, like, the movie doesn't commit enough to trying to be a mystery to sell that. Yeah. Like, she's not truly a red herring. It's more like you have to kind of notice things. I agree with that. Rather and, than her being set up as, like, this is who it's going to be. And I feel, in a sense, in a sense, mm -hmm. it's the general attitude that the parents have towards the son, right? They hold him in a certain, I guess, esteem comparatively to his sister. Hence the whole sacred deer thing. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's more in tune with, like, what his mom wants, and his father wants him to be a certain way. You know what I mean? So there is they a They both treat him like shit. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, they put him on a pedestal as well. So in that sense, I'm saying they, they hold him in a certain reverence, maybe because he's the, you know, he's the son and all that stuff. But like, so that's, that's the, if you're paying enough attention, it's like, it, it should be pretty obvious who it should be. I was about to say, if you're, if you're paying close enough attention, you'll notice all the clues that they give about the daughter. But yeah, the big glaring one that I even caught my first time through was the scene where he's sick the first time. And the camera is pushing in through his bedroom door as he's sitting on his bed and telling his dad that he can't get up. Yeah. There's a framed picture of a deer above his fucking bed. Yeah, it's like that's And I'm like if it's not cool, if it's thank not you. yeah, it's like if it's not symbolic enough, you know. <laughs> like I'll give an example too. Another thing that I caught, and it shouldn't be if you're familiar with any of this stuff, I'm not like scholar, is when Nicole Kidman's washing the feet of you know both mm -hmm. her kids and martin it's like man that is so on the nose with like either sacrifices ritualistic stuff or you know like biblical terms mm -hmm. you're it's the cleansing of, of a sort you know so i'm like yeah he's also borrowing the whole analogy if you will or like that metaphor of, of an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth this is a literally a, a revenge story you know, mm -hmm. hence why it's also a tragedy in that Greek sense. So, except this film isn't hard to decipher, man. That's what I'm getting at. And long story short, I think it, the film isn't that hard to decipher, and I don't feel like it's 
as hard hitting as people it's, make it's it to a, be. Yes, I don't know. I'll I've heard a lot of people talk about this movie and like, oh, that's it's fucked up at the end. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Kill list is fucked up at the end. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. But I will say this: it, it, not to defend, but maybe to put myself maybe in their place in a sense is like, how all right? How often have they seen that particular scenario in film or right. in story? So maybe that's their first encounter. Maybe it's a few of their encounters with this sort of scenario. And here's the other thing, like, and I don't want to make fun of anybody no, who does get affected not. by this movie like this. Like I said, I think it all just depends on a lot of factors. And for whatever reason, this movie just didn't quite do it for me. I also have just extremely glowing things to say about this movie. I believe like all the oh, acting gosh. was fucking top notch. The cinematography was top notch. Yeah, just absolutely. like, like the, it's so technically well shot and done. The score sets so many different tones and moods. It does a great job of adapting that absolutely. Uh, that myth. Like absolutely. Just at the end of the day, it wasn't the, for me. And, and that's just it. It's it doesn't necessarily have to be our cup of tea either. It's yeah. like I, I get it and I appreciate it, and it deserves recognition. But like you were saying, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily my cup of tea either. Um, I don't discredit it though. And it's pretty straightforward. There are parts that aren't straightforward. And that can be interesting to talk about. Because the movie as a whole doesn't quite do it for me, I'm less interested in them. <laughs> right, but I right. acknowledge that those things are there. Like, um, what's his name? Barry Kogan's character. Oh, he plays Martin. Martin. Yeah. Like, what is Martin? Obviously, he has to exist as far as the structure of the story goes. But when you get down to what's happening in this story, like, does he exist? That's is is too, he some aspect of Colin Farrell's own psyche? How is he cr making people sick? Because it seems to be connected to him. Almost definitely connected to him. Except then mm. the wife never gets sick, even though we're told that that's going right. to happen. Like, Well, what I find interesting that you're saying that, because... We've used this in the past in terms of characters. It, it could be a metaphor for like a force of nature, mm -hmm. you know, or like you were saying, it could be a part of Colin Farrell's character's psyche or guilt or just things that he's trying to bottle, you know, like he botched something and now it's having this rippling effect, you know, things like that. So he, he's definitely the pivotal character in this story without a doubt. I don't want to say that this movie wouldn't work without his performance because based on the rest of his body of work, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos apparently knows how to make a really fucking good movie. I haven't seen any of the others, but I know of them. I know their reputations. I know enough about them. Like, it seems like he is consistently putting out movies at this quality. However, I feel like what works best about this movie is how off-putting the entire atmosphere of this movie feels. And I think that is mostly to do with the strength of Barry Keoghan's performance. Oh, without a doubt, man. he He's so good in that role and how he's conveying certain messages. And not just that, but in that character. Because you can tell how fragmented that character is. You know, like, that guy's got all kinds of shit going on. Mm -hmm. But he manages to do it 
in his own way where he's getting what he wants. It's kind of manipulative in his own clever way. You know, mm-hmm. he, he appears to be kind of a simpleton, but there's a lot more work going on there. You know what I mean? But it's very sinister, and, and you, can't, you can't blame him in a sense, you know? Right. So, it, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it is a tell. Like, it's a, in a sense, it is a, a morality tell. It's like, yeah, do you, do you go after somebody for, you know, for the death of a loved one? Or how do you do that? You know, that's where that moral quandary comes into play. But it's also that tragedy again. And that makes sense. But in terms of like performances and in lines delivery, his is more emotive where everybody else is, is I don't want to say stilted because it's not really the right way, but it, it's very clinical. The dialogue in this movie is very stylized. Part of what turned me off about this movie is it reminded me a lot of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to say that. Because it is very boom, 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 boom. It has a certain like rhythm to it. And I, li- I like stylized dialogue. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fanboy. His characters have stylized right. dialogue. There, there is, you're right, there's, there's a rhythm to it. Tarantino uses a lot of characters with very stylized dialogue. This particular style isn't one that clicks with right. me. It reminds me of Gilmore Girls. That doesn't do it for me. I'm, I'm with you. So, yeah, like I said, if it does for others, that's cool. It, it's just, it is a certain style, like you were saying. And I, I respect it because I, I understand what he was going, what he was doing, why he was doing it. Everybody kills and, it. Right, and it makes sense for these characters, considering who they are, and the life they're leading, too. It's very, in, in a sense, it's very sterile. It's very kind of by the books, according to, like... I guess this class, if you will, mm-hmm. it's like they're doing it in this manner while everybody's got their own like little world going on around them. Everybody's kind of absent, even though they're a family. Yeah. Here's the other thing I was going to get at before, and I kind of went off on a different little tangent, but like the people that do get to the point where they're like, yeah, and this movie was screwed up, especially by the time you get to the end. And, you know, me and you are both kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But I'm wondering how much some of them are not realizing how much they're not reacting to just the end, but all of it, kind of how it builds up. Mm. Because nothing about this movie really feels normal at any given time. No, no, none of it is normal. This movie, in a way, feels a lot like a very Lynchian, in a way. Mm-hmm. It, where it everything's is. a little off and you feel I, I like that. awkward. And even if it's not horrifying or scary it doesn't feel right it feels it's a little unnerving a little bit it -hmm. can be like i said because of of, yeah i don't know it's just it's a little little off like you were saying just a little off i don't know how to do this i i know that we run into it occasionally watching different directors and cinematographers and the way they work together and frame different shots and stuff and i can only imagine that that is part of what's going on here is that the way that they're doing it is affecting how I feel based on what I'm looking at. Because it is extremely stylized throughout all of it. It's extremely beautiful. And the other thing it reminded me of was Kubrick. Solid point, too. Because these particular directors and their cinematographer, the people they work with, like, if you listen to that section, they literally all work together on these projects, all Mm -hmm. these films. I mean, not necessarily the the actors, but definitely the, the crew. So they have a good idea of how they want to, you know, tell a story within the frameworks of a film. 
and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But this is very, very stylized <laughs> in a sense where, for instance, for me, there's a scene with Colin Farrell in that, you know, they show you the house. So you kind of get an idea of what the house looks like. But there's a scene in there where he's looking out the window and it kind of pans out. It's a very stylized shot, but you also can kind of see like how tiny he is in that big old house, mm-hmm. you know, all by himself. That kind of that void, you can kind of feel it. Like just in that shot alone, it, it conveys a message. You know, otherwise it's just like, oh, it's just it's a time filler. <laughs> it's like no, that shot's done on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, you get a feel of what he's trying to convey within the the framework. As far as things to dig into about this movie, for me, and I don't even know where to start, but it really is the character of Martin. Mm -hmm. Because he exists. Characters interact with him. They all talk with him. He exists with them beyond just Colin Farrell, which was one of the first things I was looking at. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is he going to interact with somebody? Okay, he interacts with somebody. That's a very solid point. Just because that's, you know, it's kind of a cheap trick, but it's a trick. And No, it gives you a good reference point, though. Mm-hmm. Or a frame of reference, yeah. So as far as the story is concerned, he exists. But that doesn't mean that he's Martin. That's a solid point. That's a solid point. We don't know that necessarily. He could be some sort of, like you said, like stand-in for like a force of nature. Obviously, in the original myth, it involved gods and everything. I was going to say, it could be an omen... Something mm-hmm. like that. A curse. But the character is also constantly being measured in some way against Colin Farrell's character. And um, it feels like there might be something to that as well. And some of the different, like, the ways that they're brought up that they're different, but also that they get framed as consistently being kind of the same? Or at least being... Given same setups for different things, because like when Colin Farrell's daughter is, that's what you're saying, off kind of offers herself to him in a way, right, right, right. It, there's she a does it by mirroring what her mom does. I said yes. There's a mirroring, and I get that too. It's well, there is a bit of dialogue that Martin has where he talks about. You know, things being passed along, and he's talking about his dad and genetics and stuff. You know, things being hereditary. Right. So they've already kind of framed that, in a sense, in the film. There's, yeah, certain things being hereditary. And so what was it? Like, there was the story he brings up about, oh, yeah, he, he gets told that, oh, yeah, your dad ate spaghetti the exact same way. And then he grows up, and he, he finds out that, like, Oh, everybody fucking eats spaghetti that way. And right. he feels less special. But, like, I can't remember what it is, but, like, a scene after that, it's brought up that he does something in the exact same way that Colin Farrell does. That's a good point. I don't know if I paid much attention to that. I mean, I did, in a sense, but maybe not in comparison to him and Colin Farrell. And then the, even the the first scene that we see between Martin and Colin Farrell's kids and fucking... The little kid, you know, the little boy, I, I can't remember any character's name. Uh, Bobby? His name's Bob, yeah. Bobby's like, well, who's hairier, you or my dad? Oh, my dad's way hairier. Oh, yeah, 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 that's a good point. And it's yeah, just like this constant comparison between the two. That's a really good point, man. Yeah, because there is, there is a constant point of comparison 
And then he, even when Martin brings it up to Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell's like, well, yeah, but I'm older than you. Like, that doesn't mean shit. Like, you might be just as hairy as me when you get older. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's interesting, man. It makes you wonder, like, maybe Colin Farrell's background, you know, as far as his character, of course. And, like, we don't know where the kid came from. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason just because Colin Farrell was the doctor that worked on his dad that he ever would have ran into the kid or his mom or gotten to know him. And we're never given that backstory. So the, the kid kind of came out of nowhere. Right. It's like, did the kid do all the legwork? To figure out, and he, like, keep in mind now, he's supposed to be like 16 in this story. Mm-hmm. So was he doing all the heavy lifting? And what was the time frame? At least six months they've been friends. At least six months, possibly two years. Because when he tells Nicole Kidman six months, it also, in that scene, seems like he's lying to her. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like, can you really take it on value, like face value? Nah, no. really. No. no, that scene... Yeah. Very much in particular, the way that she's confronting him about it, it seems like he's lying. But it's, it's at least six months, because he's willing to fess up to that. But because of when that everything happened, it's possibly as much as two years. And so that would put him between 14 and 16, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's enough time to figure things out, but still, it's, it's a bit of a stretch. And then you have things like the Martin taking up smoking after watching Colin Farrell do it in the very first scene that they interact together. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, you know, well, I wonder, too, in a sense, in a sense, if the kid, because, you know, he lost his father in a really strange, bizarre way, he's looking for a father figure, and this is the guy that's more maybe like an ideal replacement. It's like, yeah, this is the guy that killed my dad, so he would be the perfect fill-in if I'm going to have a fill-in father, but in a fucked-up way, of course, mm-hmm. but... So that's why maybe there's those points of comparisons. Like, you know, can we share these things in common? Or are there things in common between us? That kind of stuff. Like, he's trying to, I don't know, he's trying to, like, imprint himself onto Colin Farrell and the family. I guess if I'm going to give my super, like, my my slightly stoned, super, <laughs> like it. super trying to read too far into this movie... Like, intentionally trying to read I as far do. into this as I can, right? <laughs> I like this, yeah. I kind of wonder if Martin is like a... I'm trying to think of how to put this. Like an aspect of Colin Farrell that emerges from the trauma of him having done that. And it's kind of like a what-if scenario, scenario mm-hmm. that he's feeding so that he can feel like he's making up for something. But I gotcha. but because it's not healthy and he's feeding this, he's not a good guy. No. No, absolutely not. The movie never indicates that Colin has actually done this, but I feel like the shorthand of the sex games that him and his wife play are wildly unethical for what his position in life is. And I think that's supposed to be kind of a tip-off, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, his his wife is laying there like a freaking corpse in the bed. So I feel like, like Martin is kind of like this what-if where Colin can feel like he's making up for this wrong that right, he right, did. Right. No, Unfortunately, the only reference point he has is himself. And he's a screwed up person because he's gone to this length anyway to come up with this what if scenario in his head. 
doesn't feel like he deserves to have this in his life because he's taken it away from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And we know that he was kind of fucked up going into childhood, even when he was a child, based on the story he tells about his father. God, no kidding, right? Which is so, something you can kind of imagine Martin doing. Well, you know, well here, here's something, too. I wonder how much, too, it feeds into... You know, there's the Oedipus complex. I don't. I can't remember what the inverse of that is with like the mother, son. Oh, it's um, Electra complex. Okay, yeah. So there, I mean, there is that, which is Greek in nature. I'm mean, not in nature, but you know, my tell. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if him feeding his unhealthy younger self as part of a what if situation, and the fact that despite him saying it, his wife never is getting sick. It's only the kids. If he's just poisoning him. Slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's kind of playing it out in his mind as to which one he's going to, you know, eventually kill off because like to make he doesn't feel like he deserves to have this because of how he took it from somebody else. I can totally see that as well. It's like, that's not too far-fetched, to be quite frank. And it helps, too, that we previously did Eraserhead, which kind of deals, in a sense, with that, like, the transformative part. This more so, not necessarily transformative, but, you know, like you were saying, playing the, the what if very, very, very hypothetically, but then not so hypothetically to where he's not going to start doing things to correct his wrong, mm -hmm. you know, to make atonement, I suppose, in a fucking, this most fucked up way where it's still tragic. And I'll say it doesn't quite, I mean, it doesn't explain everything. It doesn't explain the, the relationship with the then. daughter like Martin's relationship with the daughter, or it does, and that gets a lot darker. Right. Because well, if Martin is an aspect of How about this? How Colin. About this? I like this road. How about this one? What if maybe that story he tells his son was actually, the son actually did that to him, and he's playing it back out like, no, he's doing it in a metaphorical sense. Like, no, mm. I did it to my father. It's like, no, maybe the kid did it to me. And I'm using my dad as a way of like, maybe trying to negate, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Or, yeah. Like I said, cause if, if the daughter's mimicking the, the mom in the sense of how they're having their relationship, the parents are having the relationship, she's mimicking her mom. And if she's having these things with her dad, because of that character is more, a reflection, I suppose. Well, and I'm weird. also... It's also kind of like... So the thing with the daughter mimicking the mom can also point towards this... Pointing towards, like, the uh, the cyclical nature of different kinds of abuse. Not necessarily saying he's abusing either of them. Right. But, like, we know that trauma has happened. We know that he had weird shit in his oh, own past, fuck, yeah. you know, like, and we know just it, like in general, him and his wife are just way too forward and weird about some shit. Like just at the dinner, <laughs> our daughter started menstruating. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. We didn't even know that, but you're right. And it's, and, it, and, it, it and interesting. A, in a way, like the whole thing is the sins of the father are visited upon the son. Right, it is. It's all about Colin's sin has forced him to continue to pass it on and 
I mean, in this case, he literally kills his son. But. Right, 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 right. And that goes right back to, once again, maybe a little bit of that conversation Martin had about things being hereditary and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Hence the, you know, sins of your father, et cetera, et cetera. But that, I mean, cyclical yeah. nature of abuse right there, especially when we see the mother and the daughter exhibiting the exact same sex shit. I'm saying that is, I found that interesting maybe the second time through. Like, not that the first time through wasn't noticeable, but if you give it more thought and you you start to stew on it a little bit, yeah, we're like, yeah, this is interesting. But I like this. I, I like this because we've said it, and I know I've said it several times, but because of the subjectivity of art, you can interpret it in so many different ways. And, and I like that because it, you, you have, like, this huge field to play in in terms of what you can read into, you know, whether or not mm-hmm. that's the intention. That's beside the point. It's like there's roads to explore here with some of this stuff that you can drive from. And it's not, it's really not far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Martin trying to hook him up with his mom was weird. I'm not sure how that fits into what everything I've just been saying because I'd almost forgotten about that part of the movie till I re-looked down at my well, notes, but... Right, but... You only get that. Was that the only interaction? That's we get? the only interaction. So that's even a brief, like, well, except with this whole Greek thing. That's why I'm saying it's not too far fetched to think. All right, if, we, if you're already pulling from one old source, why can't you pull from other old, old mm-hmm. sources? And it wouldn't be far fetched to, like, say, going back to Oedipus complex, Electra complex, stuff like that. It's like maybe that was like a mother thing he had, and like today he he's looking at himself through the lens of Martin. Maybe that was maybe he was Martin at a certain point in his life. Right. And, you know, that relationship he had with mom was very, it could have been sexual in nature. And should we, should or he wanted it to be. Either way, either way, right? And in a very, uh, this is kind of a weird reference, in a very Calvair way, instead of revering his voice, revering his hands. Yeah. You know, that's like his moneymaker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that is a reflection. Maybe it's, you know, a younger version of himself, perhaps. Or, okay. Coming to revisit him. If it's some sort of, if Martin is some sort of like, what if, where, you know, he's getting to feel like he's making things better. So what if Martin's mom represents an affair he did have, and this time around he turns her down? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a solid point. That's what I'm getting at. So it's a solid point. It wouldn't be far-fetched. Like, maybe... You know, maybe Martin is, in, in the way I'm looking at the, it in this narrative, maybe Martin is a personification of his younger self, of, uh, you know, Colin Farrell's younger self. And that's why he's able to, like, beat it and do these things through it. Maybe it's an excuse to why things are happening. Like, he's the reason why is my younger self coming back to haunt me. Mm-hmm. My old ways. <laughs> It's weird. Like I said, it's not that there isn't things to dig into. Right. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm just saying, like, you can derive that, though. I just feel like I would be doing a better job of digging into it if I overall liked it more. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. And no no offense to this film at all. Even saying that, it's like, well, I'm going to take offense already. That's not my point. My point being is, it's just because we can play around with the hypotheticals and the what-ifs and things like that doesn't mean we love the film. It just means, like, there's stuff to play with here, right? It's just, I'm not going to dedicate... It's well done. It's super right. well done. Said, I'm not going to de- dedicate too much more time outside of what we're doing right now in order to try to get, a like, a larger message out of it because what I'm getting from is, like, if I'm looking at the story of its by Euripides, 
and just looking at the characters in this film and just like okay put Nicole Kidman in the place of Clytemnestra and then of course you know Colin Farrell's Ag- Agamemnon and mm-hmm. all this other stuff you know all these other characters and it's like yeah it's easy to read it's easy uh, yeah it makes sense what's yeah, what cool. the fuck this story has literally been around for thousands of years right and I say it, it's nothing new it's nothing new under the sun it's just how you're telling it and I get it it's like yeah he's Greek why not use a Greek story it's pretty simple uh, but it's still, it holds weight, and it's still effective. Mm-hmm. And I, I can appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely appreciate it. Super glad he did it. Super glad I finally watched it. Likewise. So likewise. And like I said, it's not knocking anything we've said before. It's just, I get it. But I don't want to delve too much more than what's necessary. Right. Once the movie was off, like, I recognized that there were questions to ask. But I didn't stay up at no. night thinking about them. No. I, I was thinking about... I mean, let me. I watched this and like Infinity Pool back to back. Oh wow! <laughs> I was thinking more about Infinity Pool than this, yeah, and honestly, uh, that's not even my favorite like thinking no, movie either. I, like I agree. it was fine, but it was more just like more fun. Yeah, that one is just like okay, this one that one's kind of bonkers, but yeah, this one it's it's fun, but it's yeah, it's not like when we watch like Perfect Blue or something. <sighs> Whereas I, I couldn't stop thinking about that for yeah, a couple of days. There, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, like there, this. For me, there are a couple that'll peel your skull back and like really stew in that brain of ours. So this one, not necessarily. But for those who, who like to do that with this one, I'm okay with that too. That's, that's quite all right. Or like House That Jack Built. Yeah. That was another one. Hit me. Not going to hit everybody else. Fuck no. Yeah. It's like, no, there's, there are certain films within this, this particular genre that are really Gonna like I said, gobsmack you and give you something really chew on, you know. This one does a little bit of that. It's kind of like an appetizer mm-hmm. in a sense. Like if I, I want to use a, a meal comparison, like this is more like an appetizer. You know, and here's the other thing. I'll fully admit that part of it is like I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. I can't imagine what it would be like no. to be put in that situation. That's like you know, I've got we. I think we both do. We've got nieces, nephews, mm-hmm. or you know, like younger siblings, or whatever. It's like yes, it, no one wants to have to face that. You know, given their circumstances or whatever but it's not like something like you said it hasn't been done before right? like yeah, yeah it's been done a lot of different times a lot of different ways it's still impactful because it's dealing with family and, and loved ones and stuff but you're not doing really anything new yeah you're not reinventing the wheel <laughs> and it like and it doesn't have that it doesn't have it doesn't to. have that personal hook either. right exactly it's and, not like i have kids and it's making me wonder about what would i do yeah, and, and I feel a bit good probably for people who are like literalists, I suppose, or are trying to interpret a film very linearly. It's like if you're really looking at these characters and you're like, wow, these characters suck. You know, it's going to be hard for you to really empathize with them or maybe sympathize with their plight. Were, were you cracking up like me when the kids were suddenly going back and forth? Dude, <laughs> that scene where the kid fell out of bed she, you know she's she's out of bed and he fell out of bed i'm like this is fucked up but yeah just even them back and forth with each other some of their dialogue the kids dialogue is good kids dialogue is really good i can see why Joni hill wanted to use bob mm-hmm. sunny uh in mid 90s <coughs> like the kids are star in that film he's the face of that film it's like well i can see why kid's a really good actor not that he like does anything tremendous but he holds his weight in this film Mm -hmm. he did what he had to do second time through it did piss me off more and more just how how shitty they treated the son like you said it's partially because they actually had like expectations of him that's just it it's like they didn't seem to have any expectations of the daughter but that also meant that they left the daughter the fuck alone 
and like she got to live her life. <laughs> well, that's just it. She can go out like take those rides with motorcycles with bullies <laughs> and do all that shit. No, where this kid, it's like he knows he has the weight of his mom and dad on his shoulders because they both are like kind of pulling him in these directions. <clears throat> dad wants him to be like him. Mom wants to be like her. It's a tug of war <laughs> with a kid. I don't know. I feel like I kind of like the Martin thing is the most like yeah. the thing to bite into the most. Like, what I, well, is he? I was and this. I think we hit on all the possibilities. I think so. I just want to say this, and not that it hasn't been said before. Like he fucking nailed it, man. Oh, he God, killed he that fucking part. kills it, dude. He fucking kills it so bad. Like I said, I I don't want to say this movie wouldn't work without this performance because damn, I think the director is talented enough that he would have made this movie work. In some way. I totally agree with that. But, but in the way that this movie does exist, it works because of his performance. Wow. And that says something, too, because I can't think of a film I've seen with him in it. Now, now that I think about like, I don't, I've never seen Dunkirk. I haven't seen, you know, Batman film yet. So, I mean, not that that's his only films, but man, he fucking nailed it in this one. I mean, it's super cool that he's our new Joker, but you see him for all of, like, 10 seconds. I know it. I know it. I'm just saying. It's like, I, I'm looking forward to more of his performances. If this is what he gives, then I can only imagine what his other roles are like. Yeah, same. Same. I, I'm super curious about Dunkirk. Yeah. I know he plays kind of like a gangster, if you will, like a, a hooligan, street hooligan, if you will, and some other films and stuff. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But, um, yeah, this was fun. Like you said, it's nice to finally get a chance to visit this one see what all the uh the fuss is about and yeah this is my take he was good in eternals okay eternals kind of it was, it was funny i was just i was just talking about this over on one of oh, my yeah, fucking nerdy yeah. podcasts because it's a it's, it's a marvel, marvel movie right? yeah it's a weird one because it its biggest strength is that it's a lot different than most of the other Marvel movies, and its biggest weakness is it's a lot different than most uh, of the other Marvel movies. Yeah, because it doesn't fit within, I guess, like a certain framework. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, and that's that's okay. And it's probably and it's too long, and it does a pretty mid job of introducing an already kind of mid team. Uh, but you. everybody that's in it does a fucking killer right. job, just and like he, him squad. included. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I got it's like the JV squad. Yeah. No, it's okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. It's like, not, yeah, not to knock their performances. It's just, yeah, maybe the characters itself. It's hard to introduce that many characters in one movie, especially when the characters are already kind of mid. Hmm. I gotcha. There's certain tiers to this, mm-hmm. just like anything else, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's one of the people. Everybody in the movie does a good job. He's one of them, so. Well, good on him, man. Like I said, uh, Plus, it's another beautiful movie. Let me. Yeah. That is a fucking scenery porn movie, dude. It is great. <laughs> and it's yeah. just pretty to look at. Good. Like this. This movie, I said it once earlier, but this movie's fucking gorgeous. It really is. You can't knock it. Like I said, the, the cinematography on this is top notch. Editing, too. Like, all all of it, man. All of it's really yeah, well done. Yeah, all of that's super fucking top notch. Yeah, fucking gorgeous. Truly gorgeous. I say, you can't knock it, technically. I really can't. There's no way. I just wish that there was more that spoke to me in it. Yeah, like I said, more pulled me in and made me like, yeah, just feel the feels, I suppose, and give me all the brain worms. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm I getting the feeling, though, that we might get that from our next movie. <laughs> Shit. I don't want to sell it too high, but man, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, dude. I guess, are we, we done with Killing of a Sacred Deer? I don't have too I much really else to say. I really don't have anything like, else to say either. Like I said, if you, if you, 
shit, if you've been listening to this long, hell, you've already heard our take. But yeah, do yourself a favor, at least check it out. Maybe check out his other works too, give you a better mm-hmm. frame of reference on maybe how he's he's telling the stories. Yeah. Gozu next week. We get to get back to some Takashi Mika. It's a bit of a milestone too, Tyler. Did we do the math? Is, is it going to line up correctly for it to be number 300? If my notebook and all my other notes and editing serves me right, yeah, this will be 300. What was 100? Uh, 100 was just a 100 special, right? We right? Had, was, was that the Jesse? Or was I think 50? that was... Or he was 50. Let's, let's take a look at this. I'm trying yeah. to remember what we all did now for these different yeah, milestones. It's been so long, hasn't it? Oh, 100 was the original Tester Fright Challenge. Wow. That's really cool. Group one, part one. 200. The thing. Really? Yeah. That's really cool. Oh, because our original plans. Something didn't oh, happen, that's and, right. but that was the same yeah. weekend that we went to the thing. With that's the- actually really interesting. Yeah, you're right. No, I, I, that worked out. That was actually a lot of fun. I don't remember what our original plan was, but then that was 201. We did Bride of Reanimator to tag up on Reanimator that's being really our number cool. one. Nice, yeah, no, that's really cool. So 300 means that we're tagging up on Visitor Q being our number two? God, that's pretty wild, isn't it? <laughs> is, that, is that how we're going to... Maybe, I don't know, maybe coincidental, but it works. I don't I don't think we're going to use 400 to tag up on Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Though. Yeah, that's a little different, yeah. But, no, I'm looking forward to it, like I because it's, you know, Takashi Miike, 300, Gozu. This one gets weird. I haven't seen it. This one gets weird with it, though, right? Yeah, it's been shit. If I if memory serves me correct, it's been about twenty years since I've last watched it all the way through. So I'm definitely up for a rewatch. But I do recall like being like, "What the fuck am I watching right now?" Good, because I was trying to explain uh, Yakuza Apocalypse to somebody the other day, and I realized that like I sounded like a fucking madman. I'm just like, yeah, this yeah there's yeah. like a Yakuza hit. But then it turns out that the boss was a vampire. And <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this one is going to be fun. I just, but I'll put it that way. I'm super, super looking forward to it. And then after that will be. Shit, it's going to be a Nightmare on Elm Street. That's right. Freddy Krueger. That'll be fun too. I'm ready to get back to some Freddy. Mean Freddy. Yes. OG Freddy. OG Freddy. For, yeah, for he, quite as many before jokes. he got jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah push lines. Yeah, he, he has some quips, but he ain't got jokes. No, 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 I got you there, exactly. That's going to be exciting to get back to. But for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social media, Medias. If you type in fried squirms, we should be what pops up. 
not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.